0: Hello and welcome to the latest Guernsey Green Finance podcast rated one of the top 10 most useful sustainable finance podcasts by Green Finance Guide. Guernsey is one of the jurisdictions leading the way in green and sustainable finance. And as part of this podcast series, we'll be speaking to and learning from some of the leading global figures in the field. My name's Rosie Allsop. I'm Communications Manager at We Are Guernsey, which is the promotional agency for Guernsey's finance industry. Today, I am delighted to be speaking to William Mason, who is Director General of the Guernsey Financial Services Commission, and Jeremy Quick, who's Director of the Banking and Insurance Division at the GFSC. Welcome to you both. Good morning. Very nice to be talking to you. You too. It's great to have you join us on the podcast. Um, I can see that the GFSC has been very busy lately on green and sustainable developments, which I'm really looking forward to hearing about. But first, to kick off, could you tell us how you came to be interested in green and sustainable investments? I'm going to ask that question first to William, please.
1: Sure. Well, it's a little bit of a story. I mean, I suppose I've always been a conservationist. I can remember as a child proudly wearing my WWF badge, uh, growing up and learning about the uh, the importance of caring for the land which we farmed. Um, And historically, I don't think the full costs of business activity on the natural and the social environment have been properly accounted for. When I started work, I found myself in a large corporation, which, whilst it had better standards than many, didn't want to think too much about environmental matters because doing so would have threatened its business model. And uh, honestly, this pursuit of profit, regardless of cost ahead of environmental and social goods, certainly turned me off classic private sector and played a large part in driving me into the arms of the public sector before I was 30. I can remember, for example, when I was a strategy consultant in my late 20s, being asked to work on a market activation strategy for a well-known soft drinks brand which consisted of finding ways of persuading nursing mothers to consume more fizzy drinks while breastfeeding their their young babies. And frankly, it's stuff like that which gives capitalism a bad name and my extensive experiences of the private sector during my 20s was that it was pretty red of tooth and claw. And if it wasn't exactly immoral, it was certainly amoral, with the overwhelming ethos being, if it is just legal and profitable, we must do it. that if it involves sharp practice at the level just beneath breaking the law, so be it. So as we're stepping back from my possibly unhelpfully dark experience of capitalism 20 years ago, the evidence i read of improving human outcomes strongly suggests that western methods which of course include capitalism have done much to drive human progress more than any other economic system but it's a big but i think it's naive to think that capitalism can continue to command popular support if it lacks a moral core people innately want to believe that what they do is good, meaningful and worthwhile during their lives. And I've been so pleased to see many businesses changed or be formed since the years since I left the private sector. Uh, Businesses which clearly consider the broader social and environmental goods properly, because too often in the past, very ruthless businesses have exploited the environment, leaving the third in the public sectors to try and pick up the pieces, often pretty badly, after they were done making a profit. So for me, the planet and broader society have paid a heavy price for allowing the greed is good part of capitalism uh, to be so prominent recently. And if we're to successfully oppose the very worrying neo-Marxist threat to Western society in the broader world of the new autocracies, we need to make sure our own system is not just one which delivers for the lucky, the chancer, and the already rich, but for the mass of the people who are quite happy to work hard for a decent living but who want to make sure the environment and society is much better for their children than they found it. So this is a long winded way of saying it's a backdrop for my strong interest in helping Guernsey become recognized as a place, which is good for our planet's ecosystem. I've written a lot in the past about green sense. I'm by instinct and practice a sort of constitutionalist and a gradualist. And what I try to work with, with Jeremy and others like Andy and Guernsey, is to get sensible advances, which will deliver good social and economic outcomes. We're not revolutionary, because if we think about it, revolutions very rarely deliver good social, economical, environmental outcomes by way of a historic example. If you talk to the average French woman in 1810, I'm sure she'd wished she'd stuck with Louis XVI's monarchy, flawed though it was. Rather than endure the terror and then Bonaparte's destruction of Europe, which was statistically pretty probable to have led to the premature death of at least one of her sons. Um, so, once you gradual common sense environmentalism, which can actually make the place better, and this is very much driven some of the stuff we've been working for at the, at the Commission.
0: That's fascinating. Thank you. Jeremy, how about you?
2: How did I get interested in green issues? Well, we were at an away day, an ex go away day and William was looking for champions on green issues, and I didn't get under the table fast enough. So I was basically volunteered for this. But I think actually that's been quite helpful because being a civil servant of kinds, I'm not an enthusiast in any respect. So I've come to be convinced rationally of the importance for supervision, particularly on the asset side of green issues. And the more and more I learn about this as a long-time supervisor, the more and more I can see that this is a very vital, important issue um, for financial regulation, monetary stability, um, and the whole supervisory network. So I think it's been an advantage actually to to not be um, terribly green, and then to be convinced that green is important.
0: So you're a convert, I suppose. I,
2: I'm, I'm a rational convert. I'm an
0: angel. <laughs> So what's this meant for the approach that you've taken?
2: Well, it's in essence what
1: we've tried to do at the Commission, in conjunction with lots of other interested actors in the Guernsey, is provide a hospitable environment for green finance, sort of making clear we regard it as a good thing. And what we've done is we've sought to provide carrots to encourage it rather than sticks to beat up those who are perhaps slower to accept its virtues. And that very much continues uh, to be our approach.
0: The GFSC has the fantastic badge of setting up the world's first regulated green fund regime in Guernsey. William, can you tell us a bit of background on how that Guernsey green fund regime came to life, how it works and how the GFSC mitigates the risk of greenwashing through the regime?
1: Sure. Um, Well, we set it up in 2018 because we wanted to give a reliable framework within which well-meaning and advanced investors could make green investments relatively safely uh, without fear of greenwashing. Uh, We've been happy to see that some funds have come to us and grown here, which has been really good. Uh, We've done a recent review of the green funds, and what do I mean by that, I mean we did a thematic examination as a regulator and checked whether the funds were actually doing what they said on the tin and investing in properly green things. And uh, what that survey showed is that they did invest in the green things which we, we've followed quite rigorously the criteria set out for green investment by the multilateral uh, development banks so I think if people want to use Guernsey green funds they can do so with the assurance that we as the uh, the statutory regulator are looking at the green funds and checking that they are not doing uh, green washing at all but um, we did also discovered that frankly some of this green stuff is quite difficult and if you're A fund administrator a fund manager getting used to balancing uh, the financial bits which you're used to knowing how to do the valuations and stuff with actually are we doing the right green things and what about the green balance sheet so that we've offered some lessons learned to some of the fund administrators on how to do that uh, a bit more going forwards and we're sure that they'll learn by doing but the essential thing is that they have been investing in green assets which is good Um, What are we doing now? Well, we're refining our green fund rules to reduce the administrative burden associated with some aspects of them. Uh, We were concerned, for example, when we looked at uh, the funds to see that some of them were having difficulty with doing very frequent valuations because they were closed-end funds, investing in long-term assets. So we're currently out consulting on changing that so that we can deliver a high-quality set of rules, but ones which isn't very costly and bureaucratic for uh, the investment fund administrators and managers to uh, use. Um, and I think going forwards, we're going to keep an eye on the evolution of green standards. When we started this in 2018, we chose to use the multilateral development bank uh, standards because they were the best ones going. Now, other people have come up with other green taxonomies, and there's some big debate about this, for example, with the EU and uh, whether you actually allow gas-fired power plants into the green taxonomy, which strikes us as a little bit weird. So we're going to carry on looking at those. We may offer some alternative taxonomies, but we want to make sure that all the green taxonomies which count for Guernsey Green Fund purposes are properly green, because we want Guernsey to be seen as a place which does green properly and a place which frowns on greenwashing.
0: Absolutely. We've seen lots of positive stories about the Guernsey Green Funds and the impact that they're having. Um, Guernsey, as Guernsey Finance, we've personally enjoyed working with Bluefield Solar and seeing the developments of the Solar Fund and how they've been working to factor in biodiversity into their solar farms. So what's been going on in the last year to expand green beyond just green funds?
1: Sure. Well, last year... Uh... Jeremy led a very big consultation with industry on uh, new insurance rules um, to make clear that we are keen to see insurance companies feel able to do green investment. Here we're careful not to structure the rules so as to force any companies to do investment they're uncomfortable with, but rather it's about providing a permissive environment in the often very, very staid arena of life insurance investment policy. The insurers now have regulatory allowances for making genuinely green infrastructure investments, which might otherwise be thought too difficult because they're novel and they don't fit neatly with quite aged actuarial tables showing historic investment risk and return. And we also help by doing this that we have shown other global regulators the art of the possible and how good prudential regulation is compatible with greening the financial system and we would like to think that we are, to some degree, the world leader on greening our insurance prudential rules.
0: Now, we've seen through our conversation today how much the GFSC has really committed to the green and sustainable agenda. And the Commission's also a member of several sustainability global initiatives, including the Network for Greening the Financial System and the UN Sustainable Insurance Forum and Chair of the Group of International Insurance Centre Supervisors. Jeremy, can you outline the work of these bodies and how the GFSC is engaging and contributing to these global programmes?
2: Yeah, sure, and thank you for that question. So perhaps i I'll talk about uh, the NGFS, the Network of Green Financials, and the SIF, the Sustainable Insurance Forum, first. Um, what I would say is that we were early joiners in both ngfs has now got about 80 uh, central banks regulators SIF about 30. however um although we were early and we're one of the smaller uh, ifc's uh, to join um clearly these bodies are led by the big regulators have got lots of resources. So our contribution has been realistic, uh, I would say. Interestingly, um, it may be, uh, well worth noting that these leaders are things like France, China, and and Holland. And and those are the the big countries who are pushing the green agenda at the moment. Um, Possibly in the future, we will see more contributions from the United States. Um, These bodies also are research Bodies primarily. They don't make the rules. It's quite important to recognize that, um, though they do contribute to the rules, and I'll mention that in a second. Um, they're also very open, they're not limited to the G20 or the G10 or, or whatever. And for us, that's very important because we can. Uh, get entry to those without uh, too many problems. I think also sitting around the table uh, with my fellow regulators in CIF and the NGF, we're often very aware that we are doing research that should have been done 20 years ago. We are playing catch up. And uh, it's always a balance for these bodies between getting things academically purely right on the one hand and actually getting things done. think generally at the moment we're we're too much in the space of research rather than moving forward but that is a limitation that has just um, been put on us talking therefore uh, briefly about the two bodies the sustainable insurance forum so really our contribution there has been raise the banner and say um, we should uh, make allowances for um, green assets for life insurance i think we're the only uh, country who have done that. And there's a huge amount of discussion of this, but I always say to my fellow uh, regulators look, you know, just look at our rules. They're there. It's a simple, easy way of doing it. Um, so I think we're flying that uh, flag. Also, uh, the SIF has been very important in contributing to IAS, which is the insurance global standard setting for its rules. So it's now writing what's called an application paper. And I think it's fair to say. You know, most of that has already been sort of uh, pre-written by by the SIF, so it, it makes the bo- the job of the standard setters much easier. And I hope with insurance we'll move pretty quickly forward to new um, insurance core principles which will embody the climate issue. Um, and then on um, NGF has that's a a bigger body. Um, we have contributed. Um, our question back to the ngos so we have a little question bank internally for our own regulators um, and we've uh, sent that uh, to ngos saying look you know if a small regulator wants a useful set of questions aimed at the board here they are and that the aim of that is to help the global uh, push and also Um, we have contributed to the uh, periodic progress reports so that the NGFS can produce uh, peer reviews so that um, other countries can see, you know, where they are in the push. And the point being that some people say, oh, we're a bit behind there. And as you know, human beings are very uh, motivated by peer pressure in that respect. The other thing we've managed to do with the NGFS is that internally, and you won't see this, but I can talk about it, every um so often um key documents are published um with the aim that you read them i i I keep reading uh, speeches by andrew bailey or governor of the bank of france or something but we have now recently managed to get our corporate governance spring green paper uh on the um on the network so again we hope that other people will read this and say oh this is this is interesting we could do this in our regime uh, and you know it's all it's all it's it's fluffy but it's it's helpful i think uh, finally i'd like to mention the uh, GICS, which you kindly uh, uh talked about which i'm the chair so this is a group of 19 small ifcs like bermuda uh, and anguilla and leban and so on so um as chair i have tried to push the the green agenda and i'll give you two examples of that so in COVID time we've been doing quite a few videos so in fact today uh the Bermuda Monetary authority are doing a video to our members on catastrophic reinsurance and of course that's very important to mitigate um uh the impact of climate change but also if you're an insurer you need to think about climate change when you're doing um supervision of catastrophic reinsurance so it works works both ways and I'm sure my uh, Peers and gigs will be interested in that uh, Bermuda presentation. And the other thing, again, I've just finished today is a green survey of about 25 questions, very very simple, um, that we're going to circulate within uh, gigs privately, and then I will feed back to those members. You know where they are compared to their peers. So, um, how do they apply um, green criteria to their own internal uh, reserves, for example? And again, um, the aim of that is for everyone within uh, GICS to sort of get some ideas, borrow ideas from other people, see where they are, um, and if they decide not to do anything, that's fine. But um, it just generally helps the the, uh, process um, along. So basically, that's uh, what we're doing. There are some big questions in the international arena. Disclosure, data cleansing, scenario analysis, stress testing. Um, which I have to say, um, although we are very keen to follow those, we will leave those to the bigger players.
0: Fair enough. Now, the GFSC is currently running a consultation with local industry looking at updating the Code of Corporate Governance to take specific account of climate change considerations. Jeremy, can you explain the rationale behind looking at the Code now and how it compares with other jurisdictions?
2: Well, I can certainly answer the first question. So, um, again, um, we internally um, have a green forum, an internal committee, and we have a um, green strategy that is in real time. I mean, we update it every four or five months. And I, I wouldn't say this green strategy you know, stretches forward the next five years, but we are constantly updating it. And um, one of the latest uh, suggestions was that we put into our corporate governance code. Now, all licensees have to follow the corporate governance code. It's a very high level, very common sense, you know, um, easy to follow uh, code that I think most boards would find useful. And we have suggested, and the consultative paper is out, that we just tweak it a little bit to say, look, oh board, it's probably time you need to consider climate change, the context of business, your business and your risks. And the word there is consider. So you need just to think about it. We're not suggesting you embark on some incredibly radical climate change policy. You can, if you like, but just consider. So we'll be very interested to see how um, the rest of uh, Guernsey uh, reacts to that. I'd like to think they would say, yeah, that that seems sensible uh, to us. In terms of, um, gosh, the other question, in terms of, I'm not sure anyone else is doing this. I, 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 you know, I haven't noticed anything uh, yet. It seems a very easy thing to do, um, but um, I'm, I'm sure someone else is doing it. But we haven't really picked up on that yet. So it
0: I, could I, be another world first for Guernsey then. Well, it could
1: be. Right? Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to say other people are focusing on enforced disclosure more. Mm, yeah. I think. While that can be powerful, there are some dangers that that becomes a minimalist box-ticking exercise. What we're asking people to think about is, well, okay, let's look five years down the road. What's your business model going to be like, given that even the Chinese People's Republic has now signed up to zero carbon targets? That's going to change the world. Does your business model work? Is it time to start having some chats with your clients about whether they want to invest in a more sustainable way so it's asking them to think and prepare really for the, the future now i think we've got a much clearer idea of what that future looks like that's what we're about with the the, the the code work we're doing
2: i'll just add there also a point i make in the ngfs is that we are one of the few along with others of course fiduciary supervisors in the world and this always takes them a bit by surprise. And I said, well, actually, there are a lot of assets that are under fiduciary control, and and you need to think about that. I think that's another contribution. It's it's not a contribution that um, has a makes a huge impact, but it's a very important one, I think.
1: But certainly, with the newer generation taking over the private capital, the private wealth of the world. What the fiduciaries certainly tell us is they're much more environmentally Mm -hmm. conscious than their parents were, and certainly thus much more open to having conversations about sustainable investing. And that I think can be very powerful because sustainable investing requires patient capital, and private wealth often, often provides the most patient capital. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. Now, this seems a good moment to ask what's the GFSC doing as an organization to mitigate your impact? On the climate, William, can yeah. you tell me?
1: Yeah, that's that. That's a very good question because there is, I think, always a danger for us as regulators. And before we started thinking too much about what we wanted to ask industries to do. We thought we'd better put our own house in order and start to practice a bit about what I suppose today we're preaching. So we looked at our own carbon emissions and we discovered, fairly unsurprisingly, they came from the electricity we use and for the flights we take, which are sort of a big part of the international regulatory diplomacy we do, which we do, which is designed to show others that the bailiwick is a good place to do business in and a good international national citizen. Um, Now Guernsey Electricity has very kindly got rid of our carbon emissions from electricity because they're now buying 100% green power. But we still have considerable carbon emissions aside from our electricity. And what we're planning to do is to become by the mid 2020s, a net extractor of carbon from the environment. And we're going to do that by planting between 30 and 40,000 trees over the course of the next year. And there is some controversy about some aspects of planting trees. So we've taken very great care to make sure that we've come up with an ecologically friendly planting plan, which won't just sequestrate the carbon, uh, but, but create some, one of those horrible, dry, coniferous forests, which are devoid of other natural life, but rather one which is uh, ecologically uh, friendly and will encourage other natural life as well. That's of course another theme within the broader green sustainability space, because we've talked a lot today about the uh, greenhouse gases bit. But the stopping ecological damage to the world and restoring natural environment is also important. And I think thinking on that is happening, but it's happening to a much slower pace than that associated with greenhouse gases. And so we're trying to set a bit of an example with our planting scheme of uh, taking care of ecology and I think it's something how we take care of the, um, as it were, everything to do with the environment which isn't necessarily about greenhouse gas emissions will become more important for businesses over the next decade but it's running on a slower timetable than that for dealing with greenhouse gases.
0: That's absolutely fascinating to think, you know, you're thinking about it in the round and the biodiversity aspects of that That's absolutely wonderful to hear. Um, That's all we have time for today. I'd like to say thank you again to William and Jeremy for their time and insights. And I'd also like to say thank you to you for tuning in. We have quite a back catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the Guernsey Green Finance podcast. You can check them out by searching for Guernsey Green Finance wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us at guernseygreenfinance.org and we are guernsey.com. You can interact with us on Twitter at guernseygreenfinance and at we are Guernsey. We also have links to William, Jeremy and the GFSC's social media in our show notes. So check those out to hear more from them. You can also now register to attend our Sustainable Finance Week presented in association with the United Nations Financial Centers for Sustainability. The event will be held live in Guernsey between the 7th and 11th of June, and it will be available for streaming online globally. We'll be continuing the conversation on the importance of private capital financing sustainability day one of our event looks at the broader global picture of public policy and mobilizing private equity to the sustainable agenda day two focuses more on the role of family offices and the owners of significant private wealth and day three turns to the insurance industry and the real world effects of climate change check out the website for more details and you can register there now as well and we'll be back soon with another edition of the guernsey green finance podcast